Hey, well, thanks again for coming. Um, glad to see you. Uh, we're beginning a we're beginning a, a new uh, a new journey here um, called Empty. And, and what we're doing here in this series called Empty is just looking at the life of a of a guy and his friends, uh, family members who are just really empty. Um, I know it seems like the Freon in this room is a little bit empty, but hopefully it will uh, cool down in just a little bit. But uh, we're talking about the life of a guy named Jacob. And Jacob was a, a fella who lived uh, about 4,000 years before we do, uh, before we do, before we are lived, 4,000 years before us. And um, he was one of the, the guys upon which uh, our faith, the Christian faith, was, was founded. He was one of what we call the patriarchs, one of the original uh, guys who followed in this lineage of faith descended from from abraham and so as we look into his life not only him but other people in his story other people in his family that we're going to look at um, who found themselves longing for something from god only to realize that they were deeply uh, empty in their hearts and maybe as you come uh, maybe as you come this morning you feel that way too you kind of feel like that uh fuel tank up there feel like you're longing for something you're longing to be filled but when you put your head down to sleep each night, you feel this sense of gnawing emptiness in your heart. That's how Jacob felt for many years of his life. And the way that we're going to do this, if you remember uh, at the beginning of last year, uh, January 2010, we did this series on the life of Joseph. Joseph was one of the many sons of, of Jacob. And so what we're doing, kind of like we're kind of going back in time. Uh, like the old, you know, like they did in Star Wars, you would have the original uh, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back Return of the Jedi. And then a few years back, they had like the prequel to these things. And so uh, they had the story that leads up to the story. That's kind of what we're doing here. And I think as we look into the life of Jacob, it will help to understand the life of Joseph and that story a little bit better. So we're going to just go ahead and get started. We're going to look in Genesis chapter 25. We're going to read verses 19 through 26. And just kind of lay the foundation for what we're going to do the next few weeks, the next couple months in this series by looking at the circumstances surrounding the birth of Jacob. This is uh, Genesis 25, verses 19 through 26. And this is how it uh, actually happened some years, many years ago. And as we read this, uh, this is God's word. This is the account of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. This is God's word. Fascinating, isn't it? Man, this is like one of those things you see on, I don't know, a Discovery Channel or the Health Channel where like, oh my gosh, I didn't know I'm pregnant, those kind of shows, or like I gave birth to a monster, something like that. Anyways, here's what's going on. Uh, the backdrop of the story, uh, kind of the foundation of the story is, is, is in the wombs of two barren women. There was first Abraham's wife, Sarah. 
Abraham's wife, Sarah, was barren for a long, long time. Even though God had promised Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to have a great many descendants. And so he's like, I'm really old and my wife is really old and we don't have any kids yet. How's this going to happen? And so that promise that you're going to have a, a lineage that's going to become the people of God, this great nation that's going to be a blessing to the nations. Abraham had a hard time believing it because his wife was barren. And so he kind of uh, does a little bit of, uh, I don't know, just uh, was, is somewhat customary in the time to sleep with the maidservant. And so he did. And they had a, a baby named Ishmael. Now, that wasn't the child of the problems because it's not the, not the way that God wanted it done. And so they uh, prayed and God blessed them miraculously with this child named Isaac. And so Isaac comes out. So here's Isaac. He's going along, living his life. And at the age of 40, the age of 40, 40 Isaac meets this girl named Rebecca. He's not a girl. She's, probably, she's a woman. And they get married, and then they're trying to have children. This is kind of where we pick up here. They're praying and they're praying because they want to have children. Because children in those days... In those ancient times, as a woman, was the most important thing. That's how. That's that's what you were good for. That's what a lot of people thought. Okay, so if I don't have children, then I don't have significance. I don't have worth. That's kind of the attitude that people had. Now, as we're reading this, we see this story in verse 21. It says Isaac. I'm sorry. In verse 20, Isaac was 40 when he married, and then it says in verse 26, Isaac was 60 when Rebecca gave birth to them. So 20 years go by. Okay, so she's been married. She's expecting, wanting, longing to have children, and 20 years go by because she's barren. And then miraculously, God opens the womb, and then she has two children. This is crazy. First to come out was red. Okay? I don't know if you've seen any red babies lately, but this is kind of interesting. This red baby comes out, and uh, it says that he was both red and uh, his whole body was like a hairy garment. Okay? I don't know any people like that here, thankfully, but... He's red and hairy, and he grows up, and he's still red and hairy as he grows up. And as we think about it, I think a lot of times we have this mentality as we think about Esau. We think, man, this guy's really cool, right? Because he's red, he's hairy, he's a hunter, as we would see in, in verse 27. We'll look at that next week. But people think he's really cool. He's like, you know, when I, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, who is red and hairy? And I thought, he's the most interesting man in the world. I was like, that's who he is. This guy's so cool, and everyone wants to be like him. But the way that he's described here is not described as this really cool guy. He's described almost like when you think, when I, okay, so I, I tried to reprogram my mind and think of what's red and hairy coming out like a baby. I thought this is more like Elmo coming out. Okay, so here she is. She's longing and waiting, and she's been so desperate to have these babies, and then the first one pops out, and here comes Tickle Me Elmo, right? She's like, that's not exactly what I had in mind. But Elmo comes out, and the way that Esau is described is not as this real cool man's man, you know, that's what we think. But he's described more like an uncivilized animal. Okay, so an animal is coming out of her womb. This is the first one to come out. His name is Esau, which means red. Second one to come out is grasping Esau's heel. Okay, grasping the heel of his older brother. And so he comes out, and his name is Jacob, and Jacob means uh, one who grabs the heel. Basically, it means he's grabbing the, the, the heel. He is like a deceiver. This is what, uh, it's a euphemism, meaning he's a deceiver. And so in the midst of all this pregnancy, right, there's this jostling, this fighting going on. I don't, I've never been pregnant. I never will be pregnant. But to, um, uh, you can just imagine, this is not normal birthing pains here. Right? This is like, they're, they're jo- literally means they're, they're smashing themselves against each other. Okay, so these two things inside of her is like, like this constant bam, bam inside of her. And she's like, what in the world is, is going on here? And it's, it, it's crazy what happens. But 
basically, the, 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 she inquires, well, what's going on here? And God says, you're having, you're having twins. And this is like completely shocking because what he will say, what comes after uh, that pronouncement is huge. I, I don't know if you heard the story of these three, uh, three expectant fathers. They're waiting in the delivery room of the hospital. And they're all, all three of them are waiting for their wives to have, uh, have their baby. And um, the nurse comes to the first one and says, oh, my goodness, you'll never believe this, but your wife gave birth to twins. He's like, this is utterly amazing. You know why? Because I play baseball for the Minnesota Twins. And they're like, wow, you know, that's a great coincidence. And he goes in and he sees, a ch- he sees his, his twins. And the, the other two guys are waiting and they're waiting in just expectancy. And then the nurse comes out about 20 minutes later and she comes out. She's like, oh, my gosh, you'll never believe this. You have triplets and they're all males. And he's like, oh, my, you, this is crazy. You know why? Because I work for 3M. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. As soon as that happens, the third guy faints. And so they're like, oh, we got to get the uh, defibrillator. <laughs> and it comes back to life. And they're like, what's, what's wrong with you? What happened to you? He's like, well, this first one worked for the twins, and he had twins. This one worked for 3M, and he had three. I worked for 7-Up. <laughs> Crazy. So this news, right, that this news that Rebecca's having twins was completely shocking because not only was she having twins, but it says, with, it says, Uh, Verse 23, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. This is what God is saying. Rebecca, inside of your belly, I get in my inside of your belly. It's not just two people that are smashing themselves up against each other, but you're giving birth to two nations. You are literally pregnant with the destiny of nations inside of you. And then he goes on. He says, one people will be stronger then the other, and then here comes this, this is, this is like the climactic moment. This is going to set the tone for the rest of this Jacob narrative. The older will serve the younger. This is completely unheard of, completely unheard of in the ancient culture. It's always, it's always the older is better than the younger, right? Always the older is better than the young. And we understand this in Asian culture too, right? Your first son is always the prize, the golden child, right? They're, they're the ones. And then after every other one, you're, you know, it's like your grandparents, your, your uh, grandparents have kids. And the first one is like the prize. And then every other one is all, oh, you know, that's pretty cool. But the first one is always going to be the one. It was more so like that in, in the ancient culture. And so this, this oracle that was pronounced over them by the Lord is going to set the framework for the rest of what we read in all of Jacob. The older Esau is going to serve the younger Jacob. And that was a promise that was given to Rebecca about her children, Jacob and Esau. And so they grow up in all of their lives knowing that this is how it's going to be. Jacob will be greater than Esau. So as we look at this story, I just want to point out three things, okay, three things that I think are important for us to understand that they needed to get, that we need to get in order for us not to live empty lives. Okay, it's simple. Three points and we go into Lord's Supper. The first thing is that God's will done our way will not lead to God's blessing. Okay. God's will, done your way, done my way, will not lead to God's blessing. What in the world does that mean? We know that God had a plan for the people, uh, for Jacob and Esau. The plan was that Jacob would be greater than Esau. Okay, this is God's plan. This is God's promise. In all of our lives, we have God has a desire. God has a will. God has a plan for us and where we, where need, where we need to be. Maybe for us, some of you this summer, you need to be on the mission field. That's God's will. There's God's will, but when we try and do it our way, it does not result in God's blessing. 
Okay, we understand that there not only is an end result, but there's a process by which we get to that end result. This is true in everything in life. You know what this means. It's like when, if you're a teacher. If you're a teacher, your desire, your will, your longing is that your students would get good grades. It's simple, right? If you're a student, your teacher desires that you would get good grades. But how you get there is oftentimes just as important as the fact that you do get there. Your teacher wants you to get good grades, but they don't want you to cheat your way through it. They don't want you to do collaborative learning on the exam in order to get to that point. They don't want you to steal someone's homework in order to get that good grade. There's a process by which your teacher wants you to get to that point. The same way with a coach. You coach a football team, a basketball team, a gymnastics team. You want them to win the championship. But there's a process whereby you get to that place that honors them, that you want them to go through as a coach. Same thing is true in, in, in my life is I, um, Olivia and Manny are up in Virginia right now. They'll be there until Wednesday. And so I've been kind of thinking about them a lot. A couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, Manny was standing at the garage door because she wanted to go outside to play. She loves being outside. Not like some of us who just like to play on a computer. She likes to actually go outside and, and see nature, right? And so here she was. She, she wanted to put her shoes on and, and go outside, but she can't put her shoes on by herself. And so she's standing at the door trying to grab the door handle, but she's too little to do it. And so she asks us for help in, her, in the, the only way she knows how. She says, shoes, shoes, which means I want my shoes. Can you put my shoes on me? And so we said to her, okay, uh, Manny, can you say please, say please? And she said, no. I said, Manny, you have to say please, no please, no shoes, no outside. Okay, we speak very simply to her because she's simple. She said, no. We said, okay, then we're not going to let you go outside because we want her to go out. We want her to play. I, I want to go outside. And I want to play with her. That's my way of blessing her because I want to fill her life with good things like being outside and, and seeing the, the sun and, and, and grass and stuff like that. So I want her to go out and play. But she, uh, there's a process I want her to go through because that's just as important as the fact that she actually goes outside. So. Again, she said, outside, outside. We said, no. She said, shoes. We said, no. Manny, say, please, please. And we said, I say a lot nicer that way. Manny, say, please. <laughs> She's like, no, no. And so I said, okay, fine. So I just went about and did my own business. And 30 seconds passed. She's still standing at the door looking at me. And 45 seconds, about, probably about a minute passes. And finally, under her breath, she says, please. And so I said, okay. So we put her shoes on her and opened the door. And then we went outside and, and played. All along, I wanted to go outside with her and let her play, but I wanted her to understand something, that it's my will done my way, not because I'm a tyrant, not because I need oh, like something about me is like my ego gets boosted because a, a, an 18-month-old uh, submits to my whims. No. It's because I want what's best for her. I want her to be blessed but I want her to do it in a way that teaches her and that helps her to be everything that she was meant to be. To understand that you have to do things in, in the proper way because the process is important as a result. So here we go. God's will. You remember Abraham, the ancient grandfather of, of Jacob. Abraham was promised, look, dude, you're going to be the father of many nations. I'm going to do it. But Abraham became impatient and he said, I know you're going to do it, but I want to do it my way. And so what did he do? He brought his maidservant Hagar and he slept with her and she gave birth to Ishmael, who would be the jackal of a child, the child who would not be the bearer of the seed of the promise. 
Because you see what happens when we do God's will. We may end up in the same place trying to get to God's will, but we do God's will our way. It does not lead to God's blessing. Because sometimes the way we do the work of God destroys the work of God in us. And that's not what God wants. And this was carried through in Isaac's life and in Jacob's life. You see here in, in Jacob's mom, Rebecca. Right? Rebecca, she's saying, hey, you know what? This is the way that it's supposed to be. God, I, I, know, what, I know what you want. And in Jacob's life, it was promised to him, Jacob, look, here it is. You are going to be the one that your older brother Esau serves. You're going to become the greater one. That promise was given to him. But you see this throughout Jacob's life, that he was always trying to fulfill the will of God, but he was trying to do it in his own way. You remember he, he tried to steal the birthright from his brother? He tried to steal the blessing by lying and dressing himself up in, in animal skin so that he could be hairy like his brother, so that his father would be deceived and he would bless him. See, when we try and do God's will our way, it doesn't result in God's blessing. We know what this is like. Some of y'all went through this whole season of Lent and you're expecting God to do something. And you know that maybe this is what God wants. He wants me to fast. He wants me to give myself to him. But you do God's will, but you do it your way. And it doesn't lead to God's blessing. You see? This is one of the, the, the dominant themes throughout Jacob's life. That God's will done my way does not lead to God's blessing. Same thing with school, right? Uh, you, you short circuit the process. God wants you to, to, to study well so that you get to college. Flip side of that. Our will, okay, our will done God's way doesn't lead to God's blessing either. What in the world does that mean? Let me, I, let me put it this way. Let me just add one word. Our will, even when done God's way, does not lead to God's blessing. What in the world does that mean? Okay, so we know that there's something out there that God wants us to get to, something out there that God wants to do in us. But along the way, we know that we need to do a certain amount of things in order to get to that place. For example, we'll go to the college illustration. You want to go to college, you need to study in order to get there. You want to get married, you need to uh, probably find a boyfriend or girlfriend and then get engaged and all that stuff in order to get to that. There's a process that you've got to go through. So here it is in, in, in Rebecca's life. Okay, here she is. She gets married. At, I, I don't know what age she got married, but her husband was 40 years old. And in her mind, they did it completely. As you read the account of it, they, they did it in a very God-honoring way. And here she is. She's like, God, I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing but why is it that I'm not pregnant yet after 20 years? I'm doing everything the way I'm supposed to be doing it, but why is it that I'm, that I'm not pregnant? This is a question that she asks, and then time goes on, and she finally gets pregnant after 19 or 20 years, and then something's going on. It says, as she's pregnant, verse 22, the babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So here, to, to understand this, here's what's going on. For 20 years, it, it says in verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. Okay, so for 20 years he's praying, finally she gets pregnant. And in, I don't know, if this was me, and this is probably what she's thinking. <clears throat> she's saying, God, look, my husband prayed for 20 years for me to get pregnant. For 20 years, we were suffering in barrenness. For 20 years, and now that we get pregnant, we'd expect it to be smooth sailing. But look what's happening. 
these babies are fighting and jostling within. They're smashing themselves up again. Why is this happening to me? Where, have you heard this before? It, it, these exact words, okay, in verse, in, in verse 20, 22. Why is this happening to me? Or have you heard that before? I've heard this in this little boy. He's coming back from the dentist, right? You know, you, you see this? Sitting in the backseat of a car, he's just gotten a little bit drugged up by the anesthesia after coming back from the dentist. And he's looking around, he's like, why is this happening to me? I feel funny. Is this real life? Is this going to be forever? And he said it in this, in this kind of like innocent childlike way, but I, I can imagine Rebecca saying this. The exact same words. Why is this happening to me? I feel, well, I don't, I don't feel funny, but I feel weird. <laughs> is, this, is this real life? And is this always the way it's going to be? Why is this happening to me? This, this little kid, why did he ask that? Here's why he asked it. Because his present experience did not jive with what he thought his experience of life ought to be. It's pretty simple, right? Because everything that he knows about life does not say that you're going to end up feeling this way, that you're going to end up looking like this, you're going to end up being like this. And we ask these questions, why is this happening to me, when our present experience doesn't accord with what we think life ought to look like? And so it was with Rebecca. She thought she knew this is what it's supposed to look like. After 20 years of praying, this pregnancy is supposed to go well, I'm supposed to have some good children, and life is supposed to be good. But when that does not happen, she begins to question, why is this happening to me? What's going on inside of me? Why is this taking place? And maybe, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we ask that question a lot, don't we? And why is this happening to me? Why is it that I'm not, I don't know, fill in the blank. Why am I not pregnant? Why is my house not selling? Why is my finances still not in order? Why am I still having all of these issues with my parents? Why is it that after all of these years of praying, I didn't get into this college, or I didn't get into this job, or I'm still, I'm, I'm still in, this, in this situation? Why is this happening to me? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we ask this question a lot. Why is my family still in disarray? Because we think in our minds that if I do this, then God ought to do that. And I think when all is said and done, fundamentally, fundamentally, our issue, our challenge, is that we don't really trust. Let me say, let me say this. This might, this might offend some of y'all. But we say, God, wherever you send me, whatever you want me to do, whatever your will is, I will follow you, God. And when God's will is accomplished and we don't like it, we begin to get upset. Here's what, I'm, here's what I'm trying to say. We trust God's will as long as it is in accordance with one of the multiple choices that we give God for what his will ought to be. But when God chooses E, none of the above, we begin to get upset. Because at the end of the day, I think the great majority, I think a lot of us, a lot of us don't really trust God. We trust our prayers to God. A lot of us at the end of the day don't really love God as much as we love our agenda for God. A lot of us don't really put our faith in God, come what may. We put our faith in our plans, our purpose, our desire, our will for God, and it's good. And we say, God, I will follow your will so long as you can conform yourself into my will. 
And our will, even when it's done God's way, will never lead to God's blessing. See, Rebecca thought she knew what God's will was. God, if I do these things, I'm doing it your way. I'm doing everything your way. It ought to end up looking like this. And maybe that's where we're at. Like, God, I did all of these things. I faithfully served the church. I've been praying. Why am I still stuck here in this place? Financially, spiritually, vocationally, geographically, whatever it might be. Why is this happening to me, we asked. I think our challenge, people of God, is that we come back to this place where it's not about these things for God, but it's about God himself. That was the challenge with Jacob, you see. He thought he knew what God's will was so much better than God knew. We think we know what God's will ought to be. I ought to marry this guy or this girl, and then in X amount of years, we ought to have this many kids, and in X amount of years, we need to be in this place in our lives. And it doesn't happen that way. And we wonder why. And we shake our fist at God saying, God, what is your deal? What is your problem? When all along we prayed this prayer at the beginning of the time saying, God, I will follow you wherever you lead me. And he's leading us and he's guiding us. And the question is, do we really believe that God has the best interest in mind for you? Even if it means detouring from what you think his will ought to be. I think that's a grand and and, and great question that Jacob needed to ask himself. Do I really believe this to be true? I really believe that God himself is worth trusting and not my plans and my agendas and what I push before God. Because God says, I will not be put into a box. I will not be strapped down to some kind of a formula because I'm God, not you. And I think, I mean, we don't understand this maybe in the moment, but looking back in our lives, we we understand how this is true. Maybe some of us are still trying to figure it out. But a great majority of us have, have experienced things in the past where we thought our will was better than God's. God's will ended up being done. And we end up looking back and realize that God's blessing hand has been all over that. But when we try and go out in our will or we do it our way, I, I love what Matt Chandler, he's a pastor out in Dallas, he says, you go out and you do things your way. The question he always asks other people, how's that working out for you? Because maybe in the initial, right, maybe initially it might work out okay. But when all is said and done, when all is said and done, God's will done our way or our will done God's way, even done God's way will never lead us to blessing. So the last thing, last thing that we have to see, and we've been kind of building up to this, and you know you can fill in the blanks without me telling you, but God's will done God's way will always result in God's blessing. Now, again, I think we have to clarify terms here. So, because I, I think a lot of times we feel like we understand what blessing means. We understand what it means to be blessed. And, and I think our mentality is we see somebody who, through a, a series of, of happenstance, they made it up, they made it big time, and they're like in the major leagues now. And we say, wow, they are so blessed. And, and they are blessed. Or we look at somebody who, they had this uh, incurable illness, and all of a sudden, they were healed, and they were cured, and there's, there's remission, and, and, and no evidence of disease. We look at them, and we're like, wow, they're really blessed, and they, they are blessed. We look at somebody who's really well off. They don't seem to be having uh, many struggles or, or troubles finding a job, and, and, and God is constantly providing for them, and, and, and they've got bankroll and all this stuff. And we look at them, and we're like, well, they're, they're really blessed. I think when we limit ourselves and our definition of blessing to the health and the wealth, and what our physical eyes can see, 
then it sets us up. It sets us up to live a, a life of, of emptiness if we don't experience blessing in the way that we think blessing ought to come. I think, I think one, way to, one way to understand it is by looking at the stories of, of Scripture. When God blesses people, there have been people who are blessed in the Word of God, who are living in the center of God's will, who are doing it the way that God wanted them to do it. And yet being blessed does not mean that we will be protected from the fire. I, I know that's not something that's, that's popular. I, don't, I know that's something that we don't like to hear. But when we do God's will and we do it God's way, it doesn't mean that there will be no fires in our life. Now you ask uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The fact that we're living out God's will, doing it God's way, doesn't mean that we'll never experience storms in life. Because the disciples faced that very... In, Jesus led them to go onto the Sea of Galilee to cross over onto the other side. And at uh, the, the whatever watch of the night, this terrible storm came up upon them. And they said, God, if you, Jesus, if you really cared for us, then you would do something. See, the fact that we're living in the center of God's will does not mean that storms will not come in life. I hope this is comforting for those of you who are in those storms in life and you don't understand it. See, being in the center of God's will does not mean that you won't be thrown into the lion's den. Or that difficulty or hardship or, or famine will not come your way. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, whatever that might look like. In fact, a lot of times... Being in the center of God's will means that you are driven into the eye of that storm and driven right into the middle of that. Holy cow, is that really the way it is? Because you look in Hebrews chapter 11, this great chapter of faith, and it talks about how these great men and women, let me, let me, let me just tell you what it says so that you'll believe me. Hebrews chapter 11, this is verse, uh, verse I don't know, 33 who through faith these men and women conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Right? This is what some people of faith experience. But then he goes on and he says in verse, uh, verse 35, he says, others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Here's what he's saying. Sometimes faith means you be delivered from the sword. Other times, faith means you go through the sword and the sword may go through us. What in the world does it mean then to be blessed? See, John the Baptist was a similar guy. Jesus said of John the Baptist, he said, you know what? Of all people born to women, there's no one greater. But there's no one greater than John the Baptist. And yet at the end of John the Baptist's life, he was put in jail, his head was chopped off, and he never saw what was promised to him. 
And yet Jesus says this guy was more blessed than anybody else. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this call, right? That God says, if you follow me, it doesn't always look pretty at the end. What in the world does it mean then to be blessed? It means that in the midst of all the things that we go through, in essence, this is what the gospel is. The gospel is, is, is about all of these things, about forgiveness of sins and a future in heaven and a purpose in life and all these things and a, a kingdom that's coming. But at the very heart of it, it's that we get God and we get all of God. And this is what it means to be blessed. That in the center of God's will, sometimes we go into the prisons. Sometimes in the center of God's will, we get persecuted. Sometimes in the center of God's will, we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait for the fulfillment of the promises of God. But in the midst of all that, it's that we get God and that God is better than everything else that the world could give to us. This is what it means to be blessed. Okay, some of you are like, okay, that, that's cool. And I know that. I know all that stuff. But, but let's, let's hit pause for a second. And do we really, like I know you know that, but do you really believe that? That this is good enough for you? That when you get God, you get something better than anything that life could ever give. And you get something better than anything that death could ever take away. That you get God himself in the midst of the ups and downs of life. That he's with you. That he strengthens you. Because whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or not, you will get bad times in your life. That's just the nature of how it is. Storms come. Tsunamis come. Tornadoes come on both the righteous and the unrighteous. But the question is, what differentiates one from the other? What makes one blessed and the other not? Is that we have God and that we have all of himself and that he's enough for us. And the question that needs to be asked is, is that true in your heart of hearts? Like when you stop and, and, and think about this, is God enough? Because if he's not, then that's us. We will always be empty looking for that thing that's going to satisfy us and fill our emotional tank, to fill our spiritual tank, to fill everything that we need. But unless God does it, it will never be enough. It will never be enough. Are you getting that perfect job that you've been dreaming of? You getting that perfect girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife that you've been dreaming of will never be good enough. You getting into that college will never be good enough. Even the best things will never be good enough to satisfy that deep yearning, longing, emptiness. We've tasted it. We, we know that to be true. But the challenge is, will we take that step of faith to believe that? Because a lot of times, a lot of times, God works in ways that we don't want to believe. God works in ways that are roundabout, the older serving the younger. That salvation coming through a cross. This was incredulous to people in those days. Uh, what, what, what in the world is that? Here's, here's, what, here's what happens at the cross. That the one who is full of everything, glory and worth and satisfaction and delight and joy empties himself completely and on the cross he was stripped naked and nailed to a cross philippians uses this terminology of the emptying out of jesus christ he emptied himself out so that we could become full with everything that he came to give to us this is what it means to be blessed and this is what it means to be blessed that we get all of him and when we come to the table this is what we're saying 
then God, more than treasures, more than wealth, more than delights, more than satisfaction, more than sensuality, more than anything else that this world can give to us, Jesus, you are enough. And that's all I need. And everything else on top of that, on top of that is gravy. Let's pray. If we come before the Lord, let me just ask that one question. Is Jesus Christ, is God enough for you? The simple fact, the simple truth is that if we need God and something else, God and status, God and the 4.0, God and that grad school, God and this job, God and this person, then we'll constantly be running on empty. For others of us, maybe we've been seeking the will and the ways of God only to realize that maybe, maybe we're really pursuing our own will. We will never know the will of God apart from the word of God. Maybe the challenge for some of us will be as much as it's difficult, I need to move into that place of just getting into the word and letting my mind be reprogrammed so that I could think God's will and think God's thoughts after him. Wherever we are today, this morning, let me invite you just to take a couple moments to pray right now. And just confess, to be honest before him. Let's not use Christian talk in our prayer today. Let's just be real before God. Say, Lord, I feel so empty right now. I'm supposed to be full. I follow you, Jesus. I'm supposed to be living for you. But why do I feel so empty? Show me, God, what's, what's going on inside of me? Maybe others of us, we need to ask that question, God, I don't know why this is happening to me. But God, would you be more than enough for me right now? Let's come to the Lord and let's just talk to him. That's basically what prayer is, but let's strip it of its religious veneer here. Let's talk to God. Let's just talk to him and say, God, I'm, I'm disappointed because I didn't get this. I didn't get that. Because I wanted to be here. I wanted to be there. And I'm, I'm, I'm hurt by that. But I want to trust in you. I want to believe that you can satisfy me. And so let's take a moment to come before the Lord. And let's just pray that, can we? Just pray to the Lord however the Lord might be leading you to pray. For a minute or so, asking God that he would change, mold, meet us where we are. And as we prepare to come to the Lord's Supper, as we prepare to come to this, this meal, blessing, let's ask God as we search our hearts. Let's really pray this, guys. I want, I want this to be true in me. I desperately want it to be true in me. I desperately want it to be true in you. That Jesus Christ would be enough for us. That we would need nothing else in this life 
that we would quit running on this treadmill trying to find what is so elusive and to stop running and just to find our soul satisfaction in Him alone. We just pray to God and say, Lord, help me. Woo me, God. Beckon me. Captivate me. Allure me all over again so that I might find that you are all that I need. Spend a moment in prayer. I'll close for us and we'll continue. Father, would you be more than enough? Lord, would you be more than enough for me? Be more than enough for all of us. Be more than enough, Lord God, for our people of God today. Be more than enough, Lord Jesus, that you would be with us. That you would lead and guide and that you would guide us. Lord, that you would help us, oh Lord God. Be more than enough, Lord God. We want to see you, Jesus. We want to receive you, Lord God. Great and, and loving Father, every intention of your heart is to satisfy us with good. And you desire to be the prize of our lives and the treasure that we seek. Father, help us to let go of things that we think will satisfy Help us to stop trying to do our will our way or your will our way or our will your way. Help us just to surrender and know that you are good and that you are loving and that you satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. Help us, Lord Jesus, that you would be our all in all. We thank you so much because you are that. Help us now to appropriate that into our lives. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name.